Final message on come after. Briefly, Jesus is coming again. Do you believe that? Say amen. amen. At any moment, he could split the eastern skies. And when he does, all eternal destinies will be sealed for forever. Second Peter tells us that because of this, what manner of people ought you to be? What kind of people should we be when Jesus comes back, when he does split those eastern skies? And we talked about how we want to be ready when he does come, whether it be through the air when he splits the eastern skies, we want to be ready, or if he comes when we take our final breath. And we can be ready if we make it our business, if we come after Jesus, if you go after him with everything that you have in this life. Two more things that I want to share with you today. How can we come after Jesus? If you haven't been here for the last several weeks, you can probably get a copy of the messages. But two more things, two more ways that we can come after Jesus before we close this. Number six. Marion, there you go. We can come after Jesus by being patient in tribulation. Patient in tribulation. And for a final time, I want us to look, it'll be on the screen, look at our focus passage, which is in Luke 9.23. Jesus read letters. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Notice that Jesus mentions the word cross. Crosses. Keep in mind that back then the the cross was uh, not a symbol, not the symbol that it is today. Um, The cross wasn't a popular image in pop culture back then. It it, uh, it had nothing to do with religious expressions or it it was not on their jewelry back in those days, 2,000 some years ago. Instead, the cross was a reminder of what awaited anyone who defied Roman rule. Death by crucifixion on a Roman cross. One of the most excruciating forms of capital punishment invented by man. Both Jesus and those living in that day knew exactly what the cross meant. Actually, when Jesus... Uh, would have been right around 11 or 12 years old, there is a recorded incident that a man named Judas led a large rebellion against the Roman Empire. He broke into the Roman armory to steal a bunch of weapons. This incident occurred just about four miles away from Nazareth, where Jesus would have been growing up. The Romans quickly defeated this uprising, And they did not take long to make an example of those who were caught. Nearly 2,000 of the rebels were crucified on crosses and they lined all these crosses on the main roadside where people would travel back and forth. And everyone would be reminded of what would take place 
should you defy and go against Roman law. I believe it's very possible that Jesus and his family witnessed this spectacle. No doubt making an indelible oppression upon this young boy. And I just had a thought to myself, if he indeed did witness this, I wonder if if he saw this and saw those crosses, if he ever thought to himself, that's me someday. That'll be me someday. What a powerful thought that must have been. Interesting how Jesus uses the word crosses in that passage Take up his cross daily and follow me. It's almost as if Jesus was saying that we need to be prepared to face hardships like this for him. To be able to endure the worst for the sake of being true to him. Notice that Jesus did not just say, take up your cross and follow me. He did not say that, did he? He said, take up your cross daily. And follow me. You see, unlike capital punishment of today or in recent years, death by crucifixion was not an immediate thing. It would often take many hours. Sometimes, depending upon the method, crucifixion could take up to days before the victim would take his final breath. Marion, maybe this applies to you. As I've said before, there are not too many more difficult things in life than experiencing a difficulty, a hardship, a trial that goes on and on and on. Our family's been on a two-year journey right now. It has just gone on and on. And on and on. And I have a mother-in-law down at Truman House. And it goes on and on. I will tell you, though, that God's Spirit is in her room. He is there. He is a powerful force. And we do covet your prayers. But many times are never-ending, realize this, listen, many times are seemingly never-ending hardships. They can turn into personal crosses. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been there. Maybe you're there now. Personal crosses that we have to bear could be a cross that you are actually facing with persecution that you've experienced because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Could be, we recently went through our Red Sea, our lessons from the Red Sea. Could be that you're experiencing some storm, some trial that you did not bring about yourself, but you find yourself in the middle of something that is going on and on and on. But while we carry our crosses daily, Jesus just told us in that passage, He still wants us to come after Him. He still wants us to pursue Him. He still wants us to follow Him. Why else would He have said, take up your cross daily and follow Me? You see, we just can't lay aside our faith, church, in the midst of it all. Our faith is the thing, the only thing that will get us through our crosses as we bear them. Because much of life contains seemingly never-ending difficulties, We have to keep 
following Him and not hang up on our faith. I believe the book of James gives us just a glimpse of why and how we can do this. Some of you might be going through something right now and you're saying, okay, pastor, I hear that. It sounds good in a sermon and you say that behind the pulpit, but how can I do this? How can I see a meaning and a purpose out of it all? This verse often puzzled me, but in James chapter 1, tells us, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. See, it's times like these when God will allow our faith to be tested, when our patience will be stretched further than it's ever been stretched before. If you were to look up the Greek word for patience in this chapter, it's a word called hupopone. Hupopone. This describes not a quiet, not a wimpy, not a passive, not a weak kind of attitude or faith. But this kind of word describes that we are to have a patience. We are to have a spirit that is strong. One that can can confront the tides of doubt, sorrow, and disaster. And in the end, we can emerge with a faith that is stronger on the other side of the trial. Have you been there? Say amen. Amen. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're stronger on the other side than you were on the front side. You see, this kind of patience is patience in action. It's just not sitting back and just being weak about it and being wimpy and just, no, it's faith in action. It's putting God to the test and knowing that He's going to be true and faithful. But for me, the key in that verse lies with verse number 4. It says, but let patience have its perfect work. Have its perfect way. What does this mean? You might not like this, but this might give some explanation as to why some things just go on and on and on. You see, in order for God to perfect us, there's that word perfect, In order for God to perfect our faith and patience in Him, sometimes, Marion, you don't want to hear this, but none of us want to hear this, sometimes He must allow the trial to go longer than we want. Thus the reason Jesus emphasized daily. You see, God is trying to develop something beautiful in each of us And He knows just how long to leave us where we're at in order to accomplish His work. Hard but true. I've often watched Stephanie down through the years um, make cakes and uh, brownies and pumpkin bars and pumpkin pies. And and, uh, those of you who are cooks in here, you'll know what I'm talking about. And as these goodies are in the oven, the, uh, the sweet aromas just fill the house. And, and the rest of us here are just waiting, or we're, just, we're, we're waiting patiently for those things to come out so we can partake of what she is making. But what do you do, ladies, whenever, or men, you cook as well, what do you do when you want to know if that pie or that cake is done? Yeah, you poke it. You take a knife or you take a toothpick and you put it in the middle, right? 
Yeah, and if it comes out moist, if it comes out west, out wet, do you take it out? No, you keep it in. And if it comes out dry, then it's time. Yeah. I believe that this is perhaps what James is trying to get across to us. Sometimes when we're ready for our trial to be done, God will leave us in our fiery oven a little while longer because He needs the ingredients to cook a little longer. He needs the ingredients of patience and endurance of faith and of hope and love to keep cooking. And I say this morning, if that's you today, and you feel as though your trial will never end, believe me when I say that one day God's going to pull you out. And you're going to come out smelling just like Jesus. You're going to come out looking and smelling just as Jesus intends for you to be grateful for having gone through all that you go through. Some of you remember attending Stephanie's study of Ann Voskamp's 1,000 Gifts. Ann Voskamp wrote another book called The Broken Way. And in that she wrote this, quote, Hannah tasted salty tears of infertility. Elijah howled for God to take his life. David asked this soul a thousand times why it was so downcast. God does great things through the greatly wounded. God sees the broken as the best. And he sees the best in the broken. And he calls the wounded to be world changers. Let me wrap up this sixth point by saying that as we carry our crosses, God still wants you to come after Him. Still wants you to come after Him. He still has a purpose for it all. And we have a choice as we carry our crosses. Someone once was having a conversation with someone else who was going through a difficulty. This individual said, suffering colors all of life, doesn't it? To which the suffering person said this, yes, but I get to choose the color. I thought that was really good. I get to choose the color. So even as we carry our crosses daily, God allows you and me to choose the color of our tribulation. And it's in this choice we can come after Jesus. We can either choose doom and gloom, worry and doubt and fear and anxiety, or we can choose the colors of patience, faith, hope, love, and trust. Come after Jesus as He perfects patience in your tribulation. And the last one today. Number seven. We can come after Jesus by rejoicing in hope. By rejoicing in hope. Alexander the Great, the great warrior, conqueror, he set out on one of his great campaigns, and as he did so, he began giving away 
all kinds of gifts to those who had helped them in his career. In his generosity, he had given away nearly all of his possessions. One of his friends said, Sir, you will have nothing left for yourself. To which Alexander replied, Oh, yes, I have. I still have my hopes. I still have my hopes. You see, Alexander the Great had hope that that day would bring a victory. And the next day, and the next day would bring victory. Hope always kept Alexander going, searching for more. What about you and I? What does a believer hope for? You see, our hope in this life is in the grace of Jesus Christ. Because if His grace was sufficient enough to save you and me from our sins, it is sufficient enough to get us through our todays. That's the hope. That's what should make you get up out of your bed every day, is to knowing that He's never left you, He's never forsaken you, He is still on the throne, He knows exactly where you're at. You can hope in Him today. We've often said in our family, especially during these difficult days, God has given us just enough grace to get through today. And when we wake up tomorrow, we'll have a whole other batch of grace for tomorrow's troubles. See, we can hope, we can rejoice in the hope of God's grace. As the song puts it, my life is in you, Lord. I think we used to sing this years ago. My life is in you, Lord. My strength is in you, Lord. My hope is in you, Lord. It's in you. It's in you. I think of the character Job. When practically everything was ripped from Job's life, his possessions, his wealth, his children, his health, the confidence of his friends, and even the confidence of his spouse. His spouse just told him, just turn, just turn on God, just curse God and die. When everything was ripped from Job's life, all he really had left was his faith and his trust in an invisible God. Yet in the midst of his doubts, anxieties, and fears, Job continued to come after Jesus, to come after his God, when he said, for I know that my Redeemer lives. In Job 19.25. You see, in the midst, he still was able to have hope. He still went after his God. He did not give up on He had a lot of questions, a lot of doubts, some quarrelings that took place between him and God, but he never ultimately stopped believing in his God. That's how you can come after him, knowing that your Redeemer lives. Do you know what the word Redeemer means? In the Hebrew, the word Redeemer means one who will act like the next of kin. It's, it's someone who will take care of their own. That's what the word Redeemer means. Isn't that great? That's great. In essence, Job was saying, God, I don't understand. I've racked my brain trying to understand why I'm going through this, God. Why are you allowing all this to happen? I'm, I'm going crazy, yet somehow, some way, God, I believe that you're going to avenge me. You are going to take care of me. You're going to get me out of this entire mess. God, I still believe because you are my Redeemer. Job said this, I know that my Redeemer lives in chapter 19, 24. 
But I want to go there. He said this before, obviously, Job 42. In Job 42, he said these words. Actually, he didn't say it, but this is what happened. It says, Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. All of this was given to Job after it was all taken from him before. But because he hoped in his God, because he kept coming after his God, he kept pursuing his God, God honored that. His hope was in the Lord of his God who had never failed him. We as believers, easy to say, my word, it's easy to say, but we as believers should be the ultimate optimist. Right? We should be the ultimate optimist. Why? Because our God is great and there is nothing too great for our God. There is nothing impossible for our God. And we can be certain that the best is yet to come. What is the best? Well, it depends on who you ask. Depends on who you ask. For some, the best might be a new car, or it might be retirement, it might be their health, it might be kids or grandkids. But if, what if you were to suggest to someone that death can even the best be the best yet to come? For someone who wasn't a believer in Jesus Christ, they would look at you like you're crazy. The best is yet to come in death. How can you say that? Church, even the worst for an unbeliever turns out to be the ultimate best for those who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You have to believe that. For those who have come after Jesus to have eternal life in heaven with our risen Lord and Savior, folks, it doesn't get any better than that. You see, we can rejoice in our hope of what we have awaiting us. I don't know if I share this, and I'm getting ready to close, because I know you are just anxious to get to that business meeting. Um, I don't know if I shared this before, but if not, if I did, it bears repeating. Jesus said in John 14, 1 through 4, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. A couple verses later, the disciples said, Lord, what do we know? I mean, what, what are you talking about? What is the way? That's when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right in the middle of that verse, what is it that Jesus said he was going to go do? Prepare a place, right? He said, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Church, look at everything that God created in six days of creation. 
I personally, I know there's different beliefs out there, but I personally believe in a literal six-day creation theory. Some of the study that I've done, um, if you look at the meaning behind the word day, I believe it implies a 24-hour day. So look at all of the things that God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Trinity, and if you look at Genesis chapter 1, it says all three of them were there whenever they created, okay? So look at everything that God made in just six days, right? Just the beauty of our world, the beauty of what is around us, just the landscapes, just blows our mind what God actually created. Uh, many of us were there. That's the Grand Canyon. Just, if you've not been there, it just blows your mind. Now, I know that for God, a thousand years is like a day. And a day is like a thousand years to God. I get that. I understand that. I also know that our God does not need anything to create. He does not need time. He does not need a day. He is God. He can do. He just has to think it and it's there. I get that. But for just a moment, I want you to go down this line of thought with me. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, from that time until when he ascended up into heaven, depending upon what model of time that you use, 723,430 days have passed since Jesus said those words. Do you realize, look what God created in six days. What can he create if you give him 700 and 23,433 days. Does that not blow your mind? Wow. You know, the Word of God says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it ever even entered into the, the mind and the heart of man what God has prepared for you and me. Now, just right now, just for a second, I want you to close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes. And I want you to think of what heaven is like. What do you think heaven will be like? Some of you just had a thought in your, in, come into your mind. I need you to get rid of that thought because you just thought of it. The Word of God just told us that it has not even entered into the thought of man. We are not possible. So think of something else. Try something else. If you have it, then forget it. You can open your eyes now. You see, it doesn't matter what you think because that's not going to be what it is. Heaven is so great. Whatever you think, you have to cast it out because there's no thought that has ever been created. Have we any hope within us of a life beyond the grave and a fair and vernal land do we know that when our earthly house by death shall be dissolved, we have a house not made by hands? I'm telling you this morning, we have a hope within our soul and it's brighter than the perfect day. God has given us His Spirit and we want the entire world to hear it. All of our doubts are passed away. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This morning... Let's come after Jesus. By having un unwavering hope 
and belief in the one who has promised to be our redeemer in this life. Then when our life here on earth is done, our hope will be realized as we go to where no eye has seen and no ear has heard. When I thought about that 723,000 days since Jesus left, he's been working on heaven all that time. He's been preparing all that time. Are you kidding me? And he prepared this world, this world in six days. Folks, don't you want to go there? For a song that I know of, don't it make you want to go home? Makes me want to go home. <laughs> I don't have an awe-inspiring illustration. I could probably have looked and found something, but I think... You get the gist of what I'm trying to say. These are just a few ways that we can come after Jesus by having a love that is completely sincere, by avoiding that which is evil and clinging to that which is good, by how we love one another. We can come after Jesus by how we serve the Lord, by how we serve the time. We can come after Jesus by being people of passion for Jesus Christ in today. Come after Jesus by being patient during our times of tribulation and by rejoicing and hope. Bow your heads, please. Mandy, come on up. I'm going to ask Mandy just to do a few verses of whatever she has picked. Lord, I feel like I've kind of beat this drum into the ground, so to speak, the last several weeks. But God, I want to implore all of us and myself, God, ultimately, I want to be ready. No doubts. No regrets. I want to be ready. Whether you split those eastern skies or whether it's going to be whenever I take my final breath, I want to be ready. God, I pray that everyone in here this morning would make it their goal in life to pursue you, to follow you, to come after you with everything that they have. Thank you, Lord. One of these days, Father, (laughs) we're going to get to experience what you've been creating, what you've been preparing for all this time. May we dwell on that. As we work and we live and we breathe and we go to the store and we go to events and we go about our life, may we make you first in all things as well. May we take you with us everywhere that we go. May we make you more of a priority than you've ever been before in our lives. Because we want to be ready. And we come after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand please?